You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Social media explorer blogger Jason Falls goes on the record online at the PRSA International Conference 2008 in Detroit. Ten years ago, it was a website. People said, well, I want a website. Why do you want a website? Because everybody has a website. And so now people are saying, I want a blog or I want an online community. Why do you want it? Because everybody has a blog or blogs are hot. Social media is hot. I need to have one. What they do is they go into it and say, just build that for me and make it happen. And they don't think about the strategic you know, process and planning that goes into it. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online, recorded from the PRSA International Conference in Detroit, 2008. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Jason Falls, the blogger at Social Media Explorer, and we had a chance to talk with him about how the virtual water cooler is changing the business of public relations, who exactly owns social media inside the organization, and why negativity is a benefit in social media engagement. We are going to play for you the interview with Jason Falls in its entirety after this. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel. I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom, and I'm here as part of a new segment we're testing called What You Can Do with iPressroom. This week, we're talking about campaign landing pages. Using iPressroom's media platform, non-technical communications pros can easily create, manage, and measure campaign landing pages or event landing pages. So if you have an event or a specific outreach program, iPressroom will design and deliver a fully branded campaign landing page or an event landing page. These pages or sites can include flash video, registration forms, blog content, photos, much more. Ideally, these pages are best coupled with a search-optimized press release and other tactics that you will use to drive traffic to them. Once visitors hit that page, a registration form captures registrations and tracks conversions. To learn more about how you can use this, send us email to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com demo. Social media explorer blogger Jason Falls, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, where are we? We're at, we're at the PRSA International, and we're in some lobby of some convention center somewhere. It's in Detroit, Motor yeah. City. Motor City, very good, yeah. yeah. Red Wings, I was excited. I went by, by the arena today on my way in from the airport, and I was like, hey, okay, I could, I could watch some hockey. Are you a hockey fan? I am, I am. I've, I'm a, I have a background in sports. I spent 11 years as a, as a PR guy in college athletics. They call it sports information in the college athletics world, but um, I have a really deep, rich background in sports. I've never worked directly with hockey, which means I could go to hockey matches and actually be a fan and scream and yell and you know drink beer and and make a fool out of myself. So it was one of the few sports I got to really enjoy as a fan during the, you know, during my 20s when I was, you know, 
work in, in college athletics. And of course, you do PR for a number of small batch bourbons. Yeah, actually, uh, my uh, my um, agency, uh, Doe Anderson in Louisville, Kentucky, is the agency of record for uh, Maker's Mark and has been for 40 years. Um, and uh, we also handle Knob Creek and the small batch bourbons, um, which we aren't. At, we actually aren't their PR firm. We do their their advertising. Uh, but I work with both of those um, entities, the Knob Creek. Uh, and the small batch bourbons, which is Basil Hayden Booker's and ba- Baker's bourbon, um, and then uh, the Maker's Mark folks on social media initiatives. So I'm primarily social media. They have PR agencies that work with them as well that are our partners on those businesses. But um, uh, bourbon is one category that we play in, as are several other categories, healthcare, and we have several other clients as well. So what type of stuff are you doing from a social media standpoint for small batch bourbons? Um, well, uh, like for instance, Maker's Mark is a really good example um, of, of what we're using social media for. Um, they have We have a, a blog for Maker's Mark. It's actually um, hidden in inside their uh, Maker's Mark Ambassadors program. And the Ambassadors program is a... Uh, it's it's kind of a customer relationship management program on crack, um, and it's it's really a, a word of mouth marketing program that uh, Doe Anderson and Makers Mark created uh, about eight years ago or so. Um, and uh, basically, those are brand enthusiasts of Makers Mark. They're the the people who are the most nuts about Makers Mark uh, bourbon. Uh, join the ambassador program, and it's not um, it's not a trinket program. It's not you know sign up and get a free T-shirt. Uh, you actually are an ambassador of the brand, and you're given business cards, and uh, you get your name on a barrel of bourbon. When that barrel of bourbon comes to fruition, you can go to the distillery in Laredo, Kentucky, and buy a bottle out of your barrel. Um, there's ownership, a sense of ownership that uh, that the Maker's Mark ambassador has in that program, and and we've we've worked with the brand on that program uh, since its inception. How many ambassadors are there currently? Uh, you know, nobody knows. I mean, I think there's probably someone who runs a database. Somewhere where who knows but uh, Bill Samuels uh, Jr. who is the president and CEO of Makers Mark has always said we don't we don't really care what the total number is because the relationship is is between us and the individual ambassador and so the, that one to one relationship ambassador to brand is more important than how many there are um, and so uh, it's it's a it's a very close knit community um, offline uh, that we are actually right now in the process of building online tools for uh, to sort of uh, give them those online tools that you might get in a social network uh, or an online community. We're taking the offline community and, and sort of plugging them into each other now. Obviously, you know, the the uh, um, uh, spirits uh, and what, what do they call it? They call it the... Uh, alcohol, wine, and spirits industry. Alcohol, wine. Okay. That industry is, a, is an industry not without controversy. Sure. Uh, you got Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You got all these activist groups. Mm-hmm. Yet, it's an industry that is dipping its toe into the water. I guess, actually... It's actually in the swimming pool at this point, <laughs> swimming with other people in a social media context. Sure. So why is it that they're not uh, risk averse to social media and so many others are? Well, I think it's 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 not that they're they're not risk averse. It, it really has to do more with the fact that we're very careful about where we communicate with people. Um, for instance, um, there are some brands, uh, Bean Global Spirits and Wine is the, the parent company of some of the brands that I work with, um, and um, there are some brands within the Bean Global portfolio, um, like Canadian Club, that have very active Facebook uh, brand pages, but those brand pages have to be um, legal purchase age, they have to have a gateway, so you have to be a certain age, whether in the U.S., obviously it's 21, in Canada, I think it's different, uh, maybe 18 in some parts of Canada. 
but there's a legal purchase age um, or a legal, legal drinking age that they have to adhere to. You know, by uh, it's actually not by law; it's just uh, an industry standard. Uh, Discus, which is the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, um, has worked with you know all of the different companies have come together and and developed a standard of if 70 percent. Uh, if less than 70% of the audience on a given website or in a given television show or of a, the demographics of a given magazine are not at least legal purchase age, uh, then we won't play there. Now, that's the discus, the, 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 the coalition of all of the, the company's standard. Beam Global goes a step further and says, we're not going to play there if it's, a, if it's not up to 75%. So they've actually put an additional 5% uh, legal purchase age and above uh, percentage on, on their standards. And so, um, again, it's not a law that they have to follow. It's just an industry standard to make sure that we're behaving ourselves and, and not marketing to uh, people who are, are not of legal purchase age. And so it's not necessarily that they're, um, that they're not being risk averse. Uh, it's that they're being very smart about how they market and communicate and making sure that they're minding their P's and Q's. Um, and that they're not marketing irresponsibly. So in addition to the work you do for your clients at Doe Anderson, you're also a social media advocate and a blogger and paying close attention to how social media is developing in communications. Biggest mistakes. What are the biggest mistakes organizations that are trying to get involved with social media make? The biggest mistake uh, is is. Is not new to it's not new because of social media. It's happened for years and years and years. Um, you know, ten years ago it was a website. People said, "Well, I want a website. Why do you want a website?" Because everybody has a website. And so now people are saying, "I want a blog or I want an online community." Why do you want it? Because everybody has a blog or blogs are hot. Social media is hot. I need to have one. What they do is they go into it and say, "Just build that for me and make it happen." And they don't think about the strategic, you know, process and planning that goes into it. If you are creating a blog and your target consumer, your target audience that you're trying to reach, if that age group or that demographic, that gender, that whatever, doesn't read blogs, then why are you creating a blog? It makes no sense to create one. So what you have to do is you have to, normally when a client comes to us and says, um, I want to create a blog or I want to create a widget or I want to get involved in social networking, the first thing we do is say, okay, let's take a couple steps back and know your audience. It's the first rule of communications. Who are you trying to talk to? What are you trying to say to them? And what action do you want them to take? Um, and then we look at that audience and find out what their what we would call their technographic profile would be, where they are online, what are they using, what tools are they using. Are they on Facebook as opposed to MySpace, or are they on both? Uh, do they read blogs? Do they write blogs? Uh, do they have any idea what RSS feeds are? Do they listen to podcasts? Do they watch online videos? Um, and so we try to define where that targeted audience is and how they interact within that category. And then as a brand, we go forward and try to hit those touch points where they're looking for content. So let's say for a moment here that you've done the homework, you've pulled this, this te the sociographic, the technographics profile, mm -hmm. and you've seen, you know what, this is an audience that is definitely, they're creators, they're critics, they're, they're joiners, whatever, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we are, we're going to go for a blog. What, do you, what, are, what are the key elements of a successful blog from a functionality standpoint? Um, from a functionality standpoint, um, I would say the, the, the chief thing that you want to have is the ability for people to respond to comment. Um, and I, the reason I say that that's, I would say, most important is because if you put a blog out there um, and you turn off the comments, now it's okay to moderate comments. You don't have to let people have, you know, free flow of, 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 of language on your, on your website or on your blog. 
Um, but if you have a blog post and there's no ability to comment and no ability to have a conversation as a result of the content you're pushing out there, then it's not a blog. It's just a website where you're pushing press releases or you're pushing content that you're trying to provide. Um, what social media does is it embraces the dialogue between a brand and its consumers or um, a company and its target audiences. Um, and then I would actually add a layer to that and say once it embraces that dialogue, um, even within the comment section of a blog, you can have what I call a multi-log, where a consumer will be talking to another consumer in the you know neighborhood of the brand, so the brand can watch that interaction and learn from it. So you have multiple conversation points going on. So I think the ability from a functionality standpoint to comment uh, on blog posts and on content that you put up, whether it be a podcast or a video, uh, web TV kind of episode, um, the ability to comment and have that conversation stem from that content is probably your most important function functional aspect. Obviously, you know, we call it social media because um, so many people are hobbyists and enthusiasts. They're using these channels for fun mm -hmm. and uh, people have fun when they're not working. So, you know, the blogs heat up at night, they heat up on the weekend. You got a controversial blog, let's say, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going with comment moderation. How do you keep up? I mean, do you have to post someone to approve the comments? on the weekend and on the nights because I mean if you're not approved if you're if you're approving Monday through Friday 9 to 5 it's like having a bar that doesn't serve alcohol between <laughs> you know 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. right right absolutely um, I think you know your staffing is something you have to look into and it, it depends on how popular and how trafficked your blog or your website's going to be um, and then you, you can go a step further beyond blogging and get into forums and message boards where you have this you know continual activity this continual conversation that's normally live it's unmoderated but you can flag content, a moderator can go in after the fact and delete something based on, you know, language or whatever your terms of service are. Um, but yeah, you have to really plan that. I think in general, most blogs, I mean, you take a look at like the GM blogs or the Dell blogs or even Southwest Airlines, um, you know, their companies that are, their communications departments uh, and their agency partners are large enough that they can have someone almost 24-7 monitoring that. But if you're a smaller business or a smaller company, you have to kind of plan that out. I don't think it's a big deal because the smaller companies aren't going to have the type of volume that's really going to be a big concern. And if you moderate your comments within 24 hours, you're probably going to be okay. You may want to have someone to keep an eye on that inbox on the weekends just to make sure that you don't go 48 hours before you post something live because you know, 48 hours is, is a long, long time on the internet, especially when you talk about news cycles. And, and I would say this would be a social media news cycle. Uh, if, you, if someone comes in on a Friday night and posts a comment that's being held for moderation, if they don't see that comment by Saturday night or Sunday morning, they may get upset and post a blog post very negative blog post about your company because you're filtering out their comment. So yeah, you've got to be mindful of it, but I don't think brands that or companies um, that uh, have that don't have the huge resources of big agency partners or huge communication staffs, you know, like the GMs and the and the Southwests and whatnot. I don't think they have to worry too much about it because, quite frankly, they're not going to have that kind of volume. Obviously, you know, organizations like still like to control the message on their website, mm -hmm. um, and in many cases, you see these websites that please the managers of the organizations more than their constituents. Yep. So when, and, and that's more the norm, right, mm -hmm. than the exception. So you've got an organization like that, they want to do a blog, uh, but they say to you, why should we host a forum for dissent on our own domain? Mm -hmm. what's, what's the response? Because the companies that have done it have proven that it works. 
Um, and if you engage your, your target audiences, even your naysayers, even those who embrace your competitors more than they embrace you, uh, if you embrace that conversation and you allow it to take place on your own website, you earn a, dr- a degree of trust and respect with those people. And so even people who are your detractors are, are probably going to take a step down on that you know tonality ladder and say, you know what, at least I respect the fact that they're allowing me to, to make these points in a public forum on their website. Uh, I respect the fact that they're having a conversation with me. Now that that kind of user is different than a spammer, a troll, a sock puppet, someone who's going to come on there just to be negative. And there's ways to deal with those individuals as well. But How, it, How do you deal with them? Well, I mean, you, you, you first of all, you have to have a clear-cut terms of service and policies for your community. And you have to say, look, this is what we will not tolerate under any circumstances. Negativity can't be one of those things. You have to tolerate negativity because, again, it, it's almost like you're reaching out and having a community event. Um, and if you have a, a community event at, say, you know, a, a, a something like this, a conference center, and you invite the community in to have a conversation with you, there's going to be people who show up that don't like your brand or that are negative about you. It's okay for them to be in the room. You're there to manage the conversation. You can't control the message. And any company who thinks that they can control the message, even on their own websites these days, are, are they're, they're sadly mistaken. The message uh, is kind of like the old days in the water cooler. Um, 20 years ago, there were thousands and thousands of water coolers across the country with these little pockets of conversations going on. And companies back then thought, well, we're controlling the message. No, they weren't because they weren't at every water cooler making sure that when someone talked bad about their company or their brand, they were there to mitigate that. Now, the water cooler is millions of people online all at the same time. It's permanent, it's indexable, it's searchable, and so you almost have to participate in the conversation uh, to even have a chance of mitigating any negative. Um, And so, basically, what you want to do in order to to deal with the people who come on your website and are negative, have those clear terms of service and policies and procedures set out. When you see someone who is crossing the line or is getting close to crossing the line, reach out to them privately and say, look, we, we want you to be on our website. We want you to have these conversations with us. We appreciate your input and we respect your opinion, but you have to follow these guidelines or you can't play here. Um, and then if they respond continually to, to continue to respond negatively, then you ultimately have to you know, eliminate them and make sure you single out their IP address. There's some technical tricks you can do to make sure that they stay off your community. The smart ones are going to try to come back under different usernames and things of that nature, but you have to continually manage that. And that's why you're seeing a lot of push toward companies hiring community managers who actually, that's their full-time job, is to kind of manage those conversations. Do you think PR will become ultimately community grassroots management? I think I think PR will, in, in, in my opinion, PR should embrace social media as its responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that you know we should all be siloed and every company should have these little silos of responsibility and PR owns social media and crisis communications and things of that nature because social media, it's much more important to let that be ubiquitous throughout the organization. When someone wants to ask a question of a product manager or a researcher or a VP, they should have that access, quite frankly. There should be uh, you know, a, a company-wide level of access or level of conversation. But I think public relations should claim responsibility for managing that, and that includes community, community management. Um, I think it, it, it can have an umbrella uh, effect over customer uh, service, customer relations, which I think sometimes falls into PR, sometimes doesn't. Um, and I think as public relations professionals 
um, enhance their knowledge and understanding of uh, social media and realize that it's not driven by technology, it's driven by communications, then I think you'll start to see more of them embrace it and manage it and own it and therefore um, sort of conversational marketing will become uh, the path of the future for a lot of public relations professionals. Tough economic times, obviously, uh, among the toughest of our lifetime. Yep. Um, how is it going to impact adoption of social media? I think it's it's there's 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 a um, a, a flip side to this coin uh, because normally in tough economic times, the public relations and and what what I would call the soft sell or the soft benefit, uh, you know, it's it's tough to prove ROI in a lot of cases on PR and whatnot when you're not responsible for direct sales. Okay, compared to your other um, departments. Um, and so the, the soft side of the marketing world and the communications world is normally the first to go in tough economic times for big companies because they don't see that big dollar return on investment. So they say, well, let's just get rid of the PR staff or let's pare down to one or two people. And so I think there's a mentality that might make you think, okay, well, social media is probably going to be the first to go because not only is it not scientifically provable, and I know Katie Payne and a couple other people will argue that point with me, but it's not scientifically and mathematically provable that there's this big ROI waiting at the end of the rainbow for social media, so maybe social media might be the first to go. But flip the coin and realize that social media is generally inexpensive, um, it's very accessible, uh, the barrier to entry is very, very low, not just in um, cost, but in in technology. Um, quite frankly, you know, I can go out on the internet right now as a, as a business owner. I can start a blog. I can start a podcast. Um, I can live stream events and whatnot all for free. I don't have to spend a dime. Now, if I need a social media strategist, someone who knows what they're doing to help me guide through those forests, it might cost me a little bit of consulting fees. But compared to what you would spend on an advertising campaign, print advertisements in big magazines, things of that nature, you're spending next to nothing. So I think social media has got some hope, but folks like us who advocate its use need to get in front of the C-level folks, the CEOs and the CMOs and the senior VPs, and convince them that, look, when you're trimming that budget, understand you can get a lot of bang for a small amount of buck using social media. So, uh, you know, one of the things, you're sort of the first good old boy blogger I've ever met. <laughs> you know? I'm from, most of the guys, I'm from Pikeville, Kentucky now. That's in the hills. <laughs> most of the bloggers I know are Yanks. Yeah. So I got to ask you something. Give me... Give, Give me a barometer of just how active social media is in the South. Oh, I mean, it's 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 unbelievably active. I mean, and and if you define the South as, you know, everything south of the Ohio River and everything east, the of Mason, the Mason Dixon line, Dixon so, line, okay, baby, traditional. That's what it is. The traditional right. stereotype of the South. Here we go. Um, it's it's very active. There's a you know, Louisville has a very and Louisville's kind of on that borderline. You know, it's at the very top of the Mason Dixon line, but it has a very active social media community. Um, there are active social media communities, I mean, all throughout Texas. I mean, if you're not going to consider Texas a part of the South, then, then we lose a big chunk of the activity going on. I mean, Cami Heiss and uh, Connie Reese and, I mean, Lauren Var. you go on and on about the social media experts in Texas who are very, very good. Um, you know, Ike Piggott uh, is an innovator in the PR and the social media space from Birmingham, Alabama. Matt Colliers from Huntsville, Alabama, runs the Viral Garden. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of great thinkers in the South. And um, I, I don't think it's any different than anywhere else. A lot of people have that sort of stereotypical approach to the South that it's different, that it's backwards, that it's, you know, you got to pump in the sunlight and it's 20 years behind everything else. That's not really the case. I mean, we're no different than anywhere else. We don't have quite as tall buildings. We've got some of us have hills and some of us have pastures, um, but there's still very, very intelligent folks doing very, very innovative things. Jason Falls, social media explorer blogger. 
thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.